Will you please take your Bibles this morning and open them with me to Mark chapter number 11. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 33. Mark 11, beginning at verse number 27. This is a passage that at its core addresses why so many who are outwardly religious or are even leaders in the church actually reject Christ. This is something that I wanted to call believing unbelief. Believing unbelief. Or we might also call it false faith. Friends, this passage in Mark 11 this morning is very scary. For anyone who would profess to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or a member of the people of God. Let's read, beginning at verse number 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, the they there being Jesus and his disciples. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Verse 31, And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people. For they all held that John was really a prophet. Verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Our Father, we ask the anointing of your Holy Spirit to come now and take his word Inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible, sufficient. Illuminate our hearts with His Word. For the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I have often wondered, if I had been a Jew living in the first century... And if I had met Jesus as a Jew, would I have believed in Him? Anybody ever, you guys ever thought that? I think about that often, actually. Or as a pastor, if I had been a member of the religious leaders in the spiritual community of Israel, would I have recognized Him as the promised Messiah? Would I have believed in Him? Friends, knowing the skeptical tendencies of my heart, I fear that I would not have believed in Christ. 
And I want that question to sort of resonate and kind of sit on us this morning as I preach through this text. Would you, whether you're seven or 97, have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ if you lived in the first century if you were here in this temple seeing him overturn the tables as we have seen him do over the past few weeks, experiencing his ministry, would you have believed in him? I want that thread to run throughout this entire time together before the word of God. I fear that I would not have. And... This growing conflict between Jesus and the unbelieving religious leaders of Israel. Notice the way I phrase that. The unbelieving religious leaders. This conflict ultimately led to his betrayal, his arrest, his death. This is one of the prevailing storylines in all four Gospels. And in our passage today, Mark gives us the first of five controversies in the temple with the religious leaders. But these were the people who should have known better, right? The scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees, they should have... Of all people, they should have recognized Jesus for who he was. They were the professional theologians. (laughs) That he was the promised Davidic Messiah. The prophets foretold would come, but they did not. In fact, with very few exceptions recorded in in the New Testament, the religious leaders of Israel wholeheartedly rejected Jesus. And by and large, so did the people. And the Apostle John wrote in John chapter 1, verse 11, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. Oh yes, they were Jews. They were faithful. They fully participated in the covenant faith of Israel, but they rejected their Messiah. They rejected their Savior. They were, if I could coin a phrase, believing unbelievers. What about you, friends? Do you think that you would have been like those skeptical, believing unbelievers of Israel? That is the question that this passage lays before us today. It challenges us to examine our own hearts for skepticism and unbelief that is cloaked in just a mere formality of faith. It is cloaked in religious duty. And so I want us to look together at these verses and see if we find ourselves somewhere here in this passage. And and that by God's sovereign divine grace, He might send His Spirit. That He would send His light and His truth to our hearts. And the first sort of main thought, the first main heading that we see here in this passage is that believing unbelievers reject... The authority of Christ. They reject the authority of Christ. Verse 27 says, And when they 
And they came again to, the, to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Who are those? Those are the religious leaders. The priests, the scribes, the elders, the Sanhedrin. That's what he's talking about here. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? What are those things? If you've been following along, and I know you have, Jesus has turned over the temple. This is Tuesday of Passover week. On Monday, He went into the temple and turned over the tables. Ran the money changers out. And so here they are asking Him, By what authority are you doing this stuff? Who gave you the authority to do this? This is the Lord Jesus' third trip to the temple. He went on Palm Sunday. Do you remember? He went in and looked around and noticed everything, and then he went, he left. And then on Monday, he went and turned over the tables. Then he cursed the fig tree. And now Tuesday, he's back at the temple. And if you remember, in those messages, we noted that the selling of the sacrificial animals and the changing of money and all that, that was operated under the authority of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council of Israel, and the Sadducees in particular. Well, now, a day later, after their corrupt had, operation had been disrupted, by Jesus, they, they decide to confront him. Demanding to know by what authority he did these things. Who gave him the right to come into the temple and disrupt things? In other words, they were implicitly saying, Jesus, you have no authority to do what you're doing. They were in charge of the temple worship. Jesus was just a Galilean rabbi overstepping his bounds. Friends, this was a wholesale rejection of the person of Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Because if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, then guess what? The Sadducees were right. He would have zero authority to come into the temple and create such a disruption. But the authority of Christ was tied to His unique identity as God's Son. You see, remember, He said, This is my Father's house. The Son had come into the Father's house to clean it up. He had the authority... Of his father. But they didn't want to receive that. And we need to see the continued relevance of this for us in our day. Because friends, people ultimately reject Jesus. Because they do not want him having any kind of authority over their lives. We reject. I mean, we're seeing this now in our culture, right? We're sort of a rebellious kind of people. 
We reject any authority telling us to do this or that, whether right or wrong. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. But friends, Jesus, by virtue of His person, as the divine Son of God, He has that authority. And His Word sets the boundaries for our lives. This is why there's always a a movement to separate Jesus from His Word. This, This is His Word. There's always a movement in every generation to to disconnect the person of Christ from the Word of Christ. Many professing believers today are totally comfortable with a Jesus who makes no demands. But the moment that He begins to turn over the tables of our lives and set things straight by the authority of His Word, our self-righteous hearts object, and they say, like the scribes, the chief priests, the elders here in Israel, by what authority do you do this? You see, we want Jesus, but not His Word. And friends, I want to suggest to you today that Jesus has no authority, no meaningful authority for us apart from this Word. This is divine revelation. This is, Jesus was the Word of God, what? Incarnate. We want Jesus, especially in America, but not His Word. And may I suggest to you, friends, that those little red letters in your Bible are not helpful in this regard Because they give us the impression that somehow that is different from the black letters in your Bible. But all of this book is His Word. All of it bears the stamp of His divine authority. And if we're going to be true believers and not believing unbelievers, then we must come into submission to the person of Christ through the authority of His Word. Secondly, in this passage, we see that believing unbelievers resist not only the authority of Christ, but we resist the reasonableness of Christ. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. My dad used to say that to me sometimes. It always scared me. Let me ask you one thing, Brian. Jesus said, I will ask you one question. Answer me. Notice that phrase, answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. He is pushing these, he's pushing the Sadducees into a corner they cannot get out of. This is classic Jesus right here, friends. He is answering a question with a what? A question. He says, all right, I'll play along. I'll tell you about what authority I do these things, but first answer one question. So think about it. 
He's clearly implying by that statement that he has the authority to do what he's doing. That who he is grants him the authority to do what he's doing. But he'll meet the Sadducees halfway. They just need to answer one question. Was the baptism of John, this is to my John the Baptist, was it from heaven or was it from man? You see, friends, Jesus could have answered their question point blank right away. But He knows their hearts. He knows that buried deep inside, underneath their religious formalities, is a stubborn resistance to the truth of who He is. And so He asked a very reasonable question, right? But it is a question that will expose their unbelief. All the religious leaders knew that the Messiah would have one who would come before him. A forerunner who the prophet Malachi said would come in the spirit of Elijah. Well, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, was that prophet. And his ministry pointed to Jesus. We read it this morning on the screen. He must increase and I must decrease. And so if the Sadducees affirmed John, then they would have to affirm Jesus as well, wouldn't they? And that was the dilemma that they found themselves in with this very simple question from Jesus. But you see, their problem wasn't with John. Nor was it that Jesus didn't offer enough evidence to be the Messiah. I mean, the, the crowd that ushered him in on the, the donkey on Palm Sunday just a couple of days earlier, they, they felt like he was, he was the one. He was the promised one. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is messianic language straight from Psalm 118. The religious leaders knew that. wasn't that there wasn't enough evidence. The problem was not evidence. The problem was not what John said. The problem was they rejected Jesus because he was a threat to their self-sufficiency. And friends, that's still the problem today. Jesus is a threat. His demands are a threat to our self-sufficiency. You know, and, and we hide behind this issue of evidence. We hide behind all these excuses for not trusting in Christ, not believing in Christ. And you know, there are a lot of ministries out there today trying to convince unbelievers of the, the reasonableness of Christ. But evidence is not the problem. It's not the reason why people don't believe, is it? Just like with these Sadducees, you can meet people halfway. You can ask the right questions. You can present the best evidence and they still will not believe. The reality is there is an abundance of evidence for the person of Christ. But the stubborn heart of unbelief resists it all. Why? 
because of the driving theme of this passage. The rejection of His authority over our lives. We reject, we resist, because we don't want to submit to Christ. That's the bottom line. Reason and evidence have nothing to do with it. We reject Christ because we do not want to submit to Christ. Specifically, we do not want to submit to the Word of Christ. Thirdly, we see in this passage that unbelieving believers, that's, that's kind of what the scribes and the chief priests and Sadducees, they, they were unbelieving believers, right? Unbelieving believers, they, they cloak their unbelief in uncertainty. They cloak it in uncertainty. Look at verse number 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say, from heaven, the baptism of John was from heaven. Well, Jesus will say, well, then why, why didn't you believe him? But if we say it was from man, well, then they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we do not know. Friends, notice how corrupt these chief priests and scribes are. They're talking amongst themselves. They're scheming. They clearly admit that they didn't believe John. If they claim that they did believe him, they know that Jesus is going to call them on it. But if they say that what they really believe, that they didn't believe John at all, then they're going to upset the people. So you're either going to please God or you're going to please man. The people loved John. In fact, John was widely considered the people's prophet, John the Baptist. And so here we have the religious leaders, the overseers of the temple worship, temple worship, corrupt, cowardly, people pleasers. It almost sounds like they're acting like American politicians, doesn't it? Corrupt, cowardly people pleasers. And so they finally scheme out a way to answer this question. And they say, well, we just, we, we don't know, Jesus. By the way, in this culture, in that time, and with the, the rhetoric and all, this would have been an admission of defeat. You don't go into a debate with someone and say, well, I don't know. They admitted defeat. And see, they, they, they did know. <laughs> but they would have rather admitted ignorance than to submit to the Lordship of Christ. And so they cloaked their unbelief in this uncertainty. And friends, there is a great parallel that just jumped off the page at me when I read this a parallel between what these guys did, these religious leaders did in the first century and what we see in the church today. See, it has become common, even trendy at times, among professing believers for uncertainty about truth to be regarded as almost a virtue. 
In fact, one of the common themes in the deconversion stories, you've heard me talk about those before, these, these people who, Christian leaders who turn away from the faith, one of the common themes is that they say that, well, the more that we read and the more that we studied, the more we kind of came to the conclusion that we just can't really know for sure what is true. And more often than not, these ex-Christians or ex-evangelicals, as they like to call themselves, most of them, they, they still claim some sort of belief in God or, or even Christ, like uh, Kevin Max. You've heard me talk about him. He was one of the founders of DC Talk. He, he claims to believe in the universal Christ. They'll believe in any God and any Jesus except the Jesus of Scripture. That's the one that they deny because that Jesus is not compatible with the ever-changing values and sensibilities of modern man. And so instead of descending into full-blown atheism, they, they end up in this sort of agnostic, believing unbelief where they believe in something, but they can't, they can't really say what, for certain what it is. Well, we just don't know. One former pastor of a large evangelical church in Chicago, Illinois, his name was Rob Bell, he, uh, he really sums up this kind of thinking with this statement. He says, quote, I'm really absolutely sure of some things that I don't quite know, end quote. This was a pastor of a large, a mega church, evangelical church. And he says, I'm really absolutely sure of some things that I don't quite know. So let me just kind of compress that into the words of the Sadducees here in Mark 11. We don't know. You see, all of this uncertainty, talk, it's just a cloak. It's a mask for the stubborn unbelief and refusal to submit to the authority of, of Christ and His Lordship that's in our hearts. We don't want to do it. Because He lays claim to our obedience by His Word. And we just don't want that. He upsets us. He turns over our tables. He tells us what He wants us to do. How we must live. Not how just He would like for us to live. But how we must live. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what about you? Are you cloaking your belief in uncertainty? I realize that there's a lot of Christians that have sat in these pews over the years. Maybe some here today, and you're not really sure about anything right now. And you might, this, this phrase, we don't know, might resonate with you. Friends, do not cloak your unbelief in uncertainty. You know, it's awful noble to say, well, I don't really know what's ultimately true. I'm just on a journey. 
I hear that all the time, guys. I hear it all the time. You know, I'm just on a journey. I've got my own story. Friends, statements like that are just attempts to conceal the rank unbelief in our fallen sinful hearts. That's what it is. Bottom line. Do we think that if Jesus Christ stood before our eyes as He has here in the bread and the cup, if we think that He had stood before our very eyes this morning, that unbelievers in here would be any more certain about Him than they are right now? Of course not. Jesus did stand before our eyes. He was here on earth. He walked the dusty roads of Galilee and the streets of Jerusalem. We could see, we could hear, we could touch Him. And what did we do? We crucified Him. How dare we cloak our unbelief and uncertainty. By God's grace this morning, may we just confess it for what it is. We don't believe because we love our sin. That's what it's about. Lastly, in this passage we see that unbelieving believers, they they miss Christ altogether. So they reject his authority number authority number one. They resist his reasonableness number two. They cloak their unbelief in uncertainty number three. And finally number four, well, they just miss him altogether. Verse 33, the end, the, the end of it. Jesus said to them, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, look at what he's doing here. He is not giving the Sanhedrin a choice. We're all about choice, aren't we? I hear that all the time. But Jesus is not about choice. (laughs) He makes demands. He's not giving the Sanhedrin a choice. Either they answer his question, or he will not answer theirs. He will not submit himself to the skeptical, unbelieving hearts and the demands of fallen sinful man. Friends, the Lord of glory does not answer to us. You think about that the next time you see some apologist on the internet trying to reason somebody into the Christian faith. The Lord of glory does not answer to us. He presents himself to us in grace, and we must deal with him as he is. I had a, I had a professor in seminary. His name was um, Dr. Stephen Wellam. He taught us that our Christology, our doctrine of Christ, must come from above. Our Christology must be from above. In other words, Christ and His Word sits in authority over us. 
And what we believe about Him must be determined by how He has defined Himself in His Word, not how we want to define Him. You see, if we come to Christ this morning any other way than that, we will miss Him altogether, just like the Sadducees here in Mark 11. He must be accepted or rejected as who He claimed to be, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to salvation. Friends, there is no middle ground with Jesus. He will not not abide that. The chief priest, the scribes, they would not come to Jesus on His terms. And so He refused to come to them on theirs, and He let them sink further into their unbelief. And guess what? Just three days later, they would have Him crucified. J.C. Ryle, he captures the fundamental issue of this entire passage. He says this, This guy is from the 19th century. He says, We may be tolerably sure that when the unconverted man says, I cannot believe in Christ, the real meaning of his heart is, I will not believe in Christ. The ruin of thousands is simply this, that they deal dishonestly with their own souls. They allege pretended difficulties as the cause of their not serving Christ, while in reality they love darkness rather than light and have no honest desire to change. That's the scribes here, the Sadducees. Is it us here today? By what authority did Jesus take control of the temple, clean up that corrupt mess? By what authority? By His own authority as the divine Son, the sovereign King over all creation. Friends, do you know Him this morning? Time was running out for the unbelieving leaders of Israel. He sat over Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives and looked over it from the east and said, Oh, how often I would have longed to gather you together, but you would not have it. Time was running out for them. But even as the Lord Jesus Christ hung naked, bleeding on the cross, He cried out, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. His arms of grace are still open this morning for all who would turn from their sin and from their self-sufficiency and kneel at the cross in repentance and faith. Or maybe you're here and, and you're not this sort of unbelieving believer. You do believe. But there are things in your life that are drawing you away from Christ. You're not living under His total authority like He calls you to, His complete Lordship. Friends, whatever it is, forsake it and turn back to Christ. I want to urge you to do this today as we pray and sing. Let's bow for prayer.